Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, starting at verses 23 uh, through 31. 23 through 31. These are, of course, the words of God, and we need to keep that in mind as we read this Spirit-inspired word. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand had purposed and predestined to occur. Verse 29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, let us from the deepest part of our hearts echo the prayer of these first century believers, Lord. We ask that you would grant to us, those of us who confess your name, those of us who understand we are your bondservants, the ability to speak your word with all confidence, with all boldness, while, Lord, you extend your hand, as the scripture says, you extend your hand to accomplish mighty works through the name which is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, uh, once said this. He said, I went myself in chains to preach to them in chains and carry that fire of my conscience that I persuaded them to be aware of it also. Today, I come to you in that very same spirit, coming to you uh, with the very same chains that seem to hold at least the American Christian in bondage. And the chains to which I'm referring are the chains of timidity and the chains of fear, specifically with respect to declaration of God's word and to uh, preaching the gospel to a lost and dying world, let alone doing so with boldness. If you were to study the book of Acts with the particular goal of finding a character, a character trait that best represented the first century believers, there's no doubt in my mind that as you study, you would come to the same conclusion that I did, and that is that you would know that they were marked by boldness. Just so you know, the reason that I didn't uh, choose the, the character trait of love is because as you read the scripture, what you find is that to love God's way requires boldness itself. 
right? So the first century, uh, first century believers, they were marked by boldness. The book of Acts gives us seven instances in which God's servants were either acting in boldness or they were speaking with boldness. And if we expand that study further, if we go throughout the rest of the New Testament, we see many other references to this throughout the epistles and throughout the different letters to the, maybe the pastoral writings or whatever. Solomon declares that uh, in Proverbs 28, verse 1, that the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but that the righteous are as bold as a lion. And this idea shows us that boldness is, in fact, something that did and should uh, mark God's people. Uh, and to prove this, of course, we can appeal to both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Obviously, we have Proverbs 28, but also uh, Solomon's father, David, said this in Psalm 138.3. He said, On the day I called you, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. So Solomon says that the righteous are as bold as a lion, and his father prayed for boldness or prayed that God would, uh, would care for him, and he granted uh, David boldness. And as, of course, we've seen in Acts chapter 4 today, the believers sought God in order to speak his word with the, the text says all confidence, which is boldness, right? So they were to speak with all confidence. And God answered them. And here's how he answered them. He filled them with his spirit yet again. Okay, they, they, they had been filled with the spirit of God. But he filled them with his spirit yet again. And they began, quote, to speak the word of God with boldness. As we live out our days in an ever-increasing secular culture, boldness is a must for Christians. Amen? Boldness is a must Make no mistake, though, we are, uh, we do act boldly as Christians. Oftentimes, though, it's in the confines of our churches, in the confines of our homes. Uh, but the second we seem to leave those four walls or face opposition, what happens? We take our place back in line, we do as we're told, and we don't speak out of turn. That seems to be the MO of most Christians today. We're as fierce as a lion as long as we're surrounded by like-minded lions. Right? I've told you guys all the time, it's easy for the pastor to get up and preach the gospel with boldness. I'm preaching to people who believe the gospel. This is not that challenging okay, in that respect. But for a Christian to proclaim the truths of God's word, it's going to be challenging. Even if on some rare occasion we do muster up uh, godly boldness, right? we muster up boldness for the kingdom of God, we are not labeled as bold. How many of you know that? When you muster up boldness for the kingdom of God, you're not labeled as bold. Instead, the little bit of boldness that you have often will wane because of what is actually said about you. I'm referring to terms like judgmental, hateful, unloving, bigoted, homophobic. You know that list can go on and on and on, right? This is what we're called inside of our world today. Maybe it's because we've bought into the lies of the culture that we're not bold. Maybe we've bought into the lies of the culture. Maybe it's us as Christians that have become far too politically correct and not just the people we point our fingers at. Maybe we've become too politically correct. Perhaps maybe we've embraced the only postmodern absolute, which is that there are no other absolutes. And so if you assert any truth claim, like that Jesus is the only way to God, you're downright offensive. And, and as you clearly know, Christians can never be offensive. It's the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not offend anyone, right? Maybe it's a sign of our lack of faith, and now it's where it gets to be a little bit hard. 
for us, right? Maybe it's a sign of our lack of faith, or maybe you just never knew you were supposed to be bold to begin with. You thought that was the pastor's job or something like this. But whatever the reason is, Christian boldness is genuinely lacking, and Christian boldness is desperately needed inside of this culture. To a world that wants to define everything by their terms, the truth of Jesus, the truths of Jesus, are judgmental. They're judgmental, right? This is the list that I just went through. Uh, So guess what? We're going to have to be bold to proclaim those truths, aren't we? We're going to have to have boldness inside of our culture. To a culture whose definition of love was established for them in the sexual bedlam of the 1960s, 1 Corinthians 13, unloving, downright hateful to some people if you really operate according to this. Guess what? We're going to need a great deal of boldness if we're going to hold our ground in 1 Corinthians 13. You know the, the, the love chapter? The passage that says you don't celebrate in unrighteousness, you're going to need a whole lot of boldness to stand your ground. To a postmodern culture, that's defined as the scientific age, right? We're, we're science people today. The postmodern uh, to that culture, uh, they've attempted to redefine marriage. And then this is the irony of the scientific culture, the postmodern culture. They reject the science of biology when it comes to gender. Right? They reject the science of biology when it comes to gender. And so when you tell them the commands and the standards of Jesus Christ, guess what you come across as? Bigoted and homophobic. Make no mistake, declaring God's truth on these matters is going to take a serious amount of boldness. But it is a boldness that we are called to. It is a boldness that you and I are supposed to have. Today, I want to share with you a couple of insights on that boldness. And, and th- there are ways in which I'm sure that this message will ruffle some feathers. Maybe, maybe there's some conviction. Maybe I already have. Smile. Anyway, um, maybe there's some conviction. But as I stated in the beginning, the chains that I feel the church is in, in bondage to, right, fear and, and apathy or whatever they may be, I'm also in those chains, I'm not saying that to remove the authority of the preacher. I'm simply saying that we, we're not marked by boldness as Christians today, and it's a problem. So a few insights. My hope is that we will desire anew this genuine Christian trait of boldness. Right? We will desire it anew. And beyond desire, I hope that we'll actually pray to God for it. I hope that we'll pray and say, God, we desperately need to be filled again with your Holy Spirit so that we can... Uh, preach your word, we can speak your word with boldness. And, and I need you to understand this. Whether you're a preacher or not, you are called to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So the three insights that I have for you, if you're a note taker, are as follows. Number one, as Christians, we are supposed to be bold. If you can't believe that, we have a problem, okay? If you don't believe the initial premise, you're, you're not going to follow through with what I'm saying. As Christians, we are supposed to be bold, and that boldness is to mimic, that boldness is to imitate the true Jesus, the Jesus of the Scriptures, okay? And I'll, I'll elaborate here in just a second. Number two, God is the giver and the re-giver of boldness. I don't even think that's a word, but we're going to go with it. God is the giver, and he is the re-giver of boldness. We don't only rely on God for our boldness to declare his truths in the world. We need to constantly rely on God as we declare these truths to a dying world. And number three, we need boldness both outside the church walls as well as inside 
the church walls, okay? We need boldness outside. That's, that's a given, right? We're, we're preaching a gospel to a lost and dying world. We're preaching salvation or repentance to people who need repentance. But we also need to be bold within the confines of our church so that we can speak to a saved people and call them to holiness, okay? We have, we have two, we don't have enough boldness within the church today. And what, what boldness we do have, even in the church, is labeled as somehow aggressive or mean or wrong. And, and don't get me wrong, there, is ways to, there are ways to be aggressive and mean and wrong. But a lot of what we're experiencing is just the conviction of the Spirit of God, and we need to respond to Him. So, number one, as Christians, we're supposed to be bold. And that boldness is the boldness of the, the Jesus of the Scriptures. I assume we can all agree that Jesus is our example. Amen? Jesus is our example. The sticking point seems to be, which Jesus are we talking about? Which Jesus are we referring to? The culture, as well as many in the church today, have adopted a soft Jesus. I could say that with a funny-sounding accent, but I'm not going to go there. But we've accepted a soft Jesus, a Jesus made in their image and not... Him, uh, and not us in his, right? So, so he's made in our image. They've embraced a Jesus who tells them exactly what they want to hear. Yay. A Jesus that tells them exactly what they want to hear. A Jesus who gives away free stuff, no strings attached. You know what that's called? It's called cheap grace. He, give, he, gives away, he gives away free stuff, no strings attached. This is salvation without repentance. Salvation without repentance, Right? Or we, they believe a Jesus who accepts them just the way they are, but never expects them to change. You know what that's called? That's called justification without sanctification. We stand justified through the blood of Christ Jesus, but we are to be sanctified. We are to be transformed, molded into the image of our Heavenly Father. This is something that we need to do. Oh, oh but don't worry. The Jesus that they've painted loves little children, so it has to be the real guy. That has to be the real guy. He loves babies. You know what the problem is? This doesn't sound like the real Jesus. It sounds like an American politician, right? <laughs> Tell you what you want to hear and kiss babies. It's just brilliant, right? This is what they do. But, but this is not the right Jesus. But I will warn you, if this is the Jesus that you follow, if this is the Jesus that you have ingrained in your head, if this is the Jesus that has been preached to you and the Jesus that you believe in, no boldness is required. No boldness is required. Do you realize it doesn't take boldness to go into a world and say, Jesus loves you? It doesn't take boldness. It doesn't take boldness. It doesn't take boldness. It takes boldness to say, Jesus loves you enough to call you to repent. Jesus loves you enough to bleed and die for you. Jesus loves you enough to, make the, to be the only way to his Father and to offer that way to you. That is a bold statement. But it doesn't take boldness to go into the world and say, Jesus loves you. He thinks you're an awesome dude, right? You are so cool. You know what people leave with? They leave knowing that they're cool because they thought that before, right? I'm glad Jesus finally came around to my side of the view, right? But we are not those people. If this isn't the Jesus... Uh, that you follow, and you do follow the Jesus of Scripture, you're going to need boldness, and you're going to need boldness like no other. So let's think about this Jesus for just a couple seconds. I'm going to pick on some things that I've 
I hear all the time about it. Let's think about the real Jesus, for example. The Jesus of the scriptures ate with sinners and tax collectors. How many of you have ever heard somebody say that when, when uh, a non-believer is basically telling you to stop judging them? How many of you have heard that? Okay, so it's awesome. True enough, Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. But he also declared that his mission, and this is important for you to show people, he declared that his mission was a mission to the sick, not the healthy. What's that have to do with squat, Nathan? It has everything to do with it. Jesus identified people for who they were. Jesus ate with sinners, and he called them sinners. He didn't say, I'm going to eat with sinners, and sin's okay. He didn't go, go to the sick and say, it's okay, die in your sickness. That, that's not what he did. He addressed them. He, he, he looked at them or saw them the way they were. The problem in our culture is that we use this as an excuse of a soft Jesus because we're actually offended by the Pharisees. That's our problem, right? The Pharisees wouldn't even show compassion to those uh, drenched in sin. They didn't want to touch these people. They wanted nothing to do with them. Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. Did you know that? An equal opportunity offender. He, violating the 11th command all the time, right? So he's an equal opportunity offender. He calls out the Pharisees and he calls out the sinners. Okay? So this is the, this is the Jesus that we follow. He had a mission to the sick. Jesus labels people as they were and he doesn't come for the sick and leave them sick. He came for the sick and he healed them. And what the Pharisees struggled with or didn't understand is that Jesus' real declaration was, all y'all are sick. Can you say that with me? All y'all are sick. This, I've been in Kentucky too long. Anyway, all y'all are sick. This is, this is what he's declaring to them. The Pharisees took forever to understand this if they ever got it. But the point is, Jesus labeled people for what they were. Another uh, common complaint or common uh, point to, to justify a soft Jesus. People say Jesus protected and showed mercy to those who were steeped in sin. Jesus was an advocate. Well, yeah, he was. He was. You guys remember the story of the woman who was caught in adultery and all of the Jewish Sanhedrin came out one day to throw rocks at her. You guys remember this, okay? And maybe they would have been right, according to Levitical law, to follow through with this particular situation. And Jesus, true enough, was her advocate. Jesus, true enough, stood in the gap. I, I don't know if you've ever just, I daydream about these these pictures in the Bible. And here's the picture that I have. I got these guys who are all uh, stopped at the rock quarry on the way down, right? So they've got, all got their rocks in their hands. And you've got this woman who's caught in adultery. And meanwhile, in this epic, like, Western scene where there's two dueling, you know, parties, right? Jesus is doodling in the sand. Like, that's what you're going to do right now? So he's doodling in the sand. And Jesus calls out the Pharisees, doesn't he? He's an advocate for the woman, but he calls out the Pharisees and he says to them, if you have no sin, go ahead and chuck the first rock, right? You have no sin, throw the first stone. What, what happens in the story? They all leave, right? They all leave. Nobody there. This is Jesus preaching uh, a illustrative sermon of get the log out of your own eye before you worry about the twig in her eye. Okay, so Jesus, Jesus is an advocate. Make no mistake, the real Jesus is an advocate. But the real Jesus also then turns to her and says, who condemns you? And, and she looks up and she says, nobody's left. No, nobody condemns me. And he says, neither do I. Now that's grace right there. He, he could have. He should have. 
Guys, he should have sent a second flood and just wiped this experiment out, in my opinion, okay? But he shows mercy. He cares for us. And he promised he wouldn't. But So he shows mercy, and he looks at her, and he says, nor do I condemn you. But the next line is the line that everybody with a soft Jesus forgets. He says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He's an advocate for the woman, but he's an advocate against religious people and sin. We need an advocate against sin, amen? Sin destroys us. It terrorizes our bodies. It just just wrecks everything. And Jesus is who he says he is. But here's the lesson of all of it. Jesus is an advocate for those steeped in sin, but we're all steeped in sin. Can I get an amen? Amen. This is our moment of confession as a church, right? (laughs) Amen. We're all steeped in sin, but guess what? While we were yet steeped in sin, Christ died for us. And then what did he do? He just left us to hang out until he comes again. No. He called us to obey all that he has commanded. Jesus had no tolerance uh, for the pain caused by man-made traditions. Love people, people love to say Jesus was an iconoclast, right? And he was, right? He just blew stuff up. If men said it, he was like, watch this. This will be fun, okay? Jesus did that. But what people of a soft Jesus often advocate for is that Jesus blew up the traditions of men, and he also just abolished law and command and all these other things. Jesus blew up the traditions of men. Meanwhile, he obeyed meticulously the commands of his father, Without fail, without fail, sinless perfection, right? This is who Jesus is. He never conflated the two. So to be bold inside of our culture, to be bold like Jesus, would be for us to call out those traditions of men that just make no sense. But not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, throwing out the traditions of men, and then also throwing out the commands of God. We're to be an obedient people, right? So Jesus, who who wrecks their worldview, then tells us, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. This is why Jesus tells us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What will you accomplish in doing that? What will you do? You'll fulfill the law and the prophets. This is what we do. As redeemed people, we are called to love God and love people. Love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love people. Just side note, love is defined according to God's terms as well. So that's a really important piece to this. He's commanded us to obey. He told the Pharisees that they are to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I shared it with you a couple of weeks ago. There is no category for a fruitless vine in the kingdom of God. There's no category. We are called to produce fruit. That's obedience. That's following after the God of the universe. Last, Jesus, of course, suffered the little children to come to him. But... What were the children coming to Jesus representing? Humility and faith. Humility and faith. That's where that analogy, that's where that story needs to stop. When Jesus, uh, when Jesus invited his children, his disciples, those whom the Father gave him, when he invited those men to follow after him, he disciplined the heck out of them. I love it. Makes me happy. As a dad, four girls, discipline is my favorite word. Right? I'm failing at it miserably, but it's my favorite word, right? Jesus disciplines his children, his disciples. He disciplined their faithlessness, their pride, their power grabbing, and their apathy, and, and much more. 
This is who Jesus disciplines. See, the real Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus we're supposed to imitate, the Jesus that we imitate that's going to require deep and profound boldness on our part is a Jesus who disciplines those he loves, but he's also a Jesus who condemns those he hates. Make no mistake, there's coming a day or an hour and an hour where judgment will happen, where it will be final and it will be end. It will be the end. That's the Jesus that we're supposed to imitate. This is going to be challenging. If we imitate him, we're going to need a deep amount of boldness. Remember that Solomon said, the righteous are as bold as a lion, right? The righteous are as bold as a lion. According to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus said that he became sin on our behalf so that what? So that we might become the righteousness of God. So let's put those together. The righteous are as bold as lion. In Christ, we are righteous. We are to be bold. That's our job. We are to be bold. We're not the unrighteous running when there's not even a threat. We are as bold as a lion. And if you want to know the exact lion you're supposed to imitate, it would be the lion of Judah. You're to be bold as the lion of Judah. So, God wants us to be bold. We're supposed to be bold as Christians, and that's to look like Jesus. Number two, God is the giver and the re-giver of boldness. The term for boldness is pronounced peresia. Will you say that with me? Peresia. You got to get the tongue trill right, okay? So peresia. Come on, let's do it. It's like Spanish class, right? Peresia. You guys are fun. You're fun. I heard Sean having you pronounce a word last week. Don't steal my thunder, man. Where are you at, Sean? That's, that's my job. I get to pick on everybody for saying funny things. Pedicea. It does mean boldness, and it doesn't just mean like a regular boldness. It also uh, is represented to mean an audacious boldness, which I love. Okay, so an audacious boldness. But the word that means boldness, or the word we use for boldness, also means confidence or speaking plainly. Remember this. God is the giver and the re-giver of boldness. If God is that giver, and he is, then it means that God gives us what to say, that's called truth, right? You don't get to make up the gospel. Hallelujah, okay? God gives us what to say. That's truth. He gives us how to say it. He's the one who, who tells us to speak it plainly, to speak it boldly, uh, to do those things. So how to say it. He also tells us to speak it in love. And he's the one who gives us the strength, the confidence, and the boldness to declare it to the world. Many of us have never declared the gospel to people because we're afraid that we're going to put our foot in our mouth. We're never going to do it the right way. We have never believed profoundly God is the giver and the re-giver of boldness. We believe, just like salvation in some people's minds, that it's a work on our behalf. And so we work to it. And with boldness, we try to work it up. And it just never seems to get there, does it? But this boldness is a God-given boldness. It's God's word, which is truth. It's how to say it in love. And it's the strength to say it, which is this confidence or this boldness. We've all heard the scriptures speak the truth in love, right? Speak the truth in love. But truth and love are constants in a mathematical equation. Make sure you, you catch this. T truth and love are not X's and Y's in the, in the equation. Those are variables. They can be solved for anything. They're the hard, fast numbers. Truth and love don't change. Truth is defined by God. Love is defined how God would say to love. And that's where the sticking point comes inside of our culture. These are both God-given. And to stay true to those things requires boldness, doesn't it? 
To stay true to godly love and godly truth is the problem. That's where it gets really hard. And give you, let me give you a couple quick examples of this. How many of you have ever heard or said the phrase, kindness leads to repentance? Show me your hand. Kindness leads to repentance. You've at least heard it. Come on. You guys are just boycotting me for raising hands. Okay? Fine. I'll press on anyway with boldness. We've heard kindness leads to repentance. Uh, the Jesus that you imitate will determine how you interpret. The Jesus you, uh, you Im uh, imitate will determine how you interpret this particular passage. You want me to explain it to you? Of course you do. That's why I'm here. See, if you believe, if you believe that Jesus is just soft Jesus and it's just whatever, you will buy into the world's view of kindness leads to repentance. And what you will, what you will define this to mean is that Jesus, uh, all he wants is for us to be kind and accepting of the world. All he wants us to do is tell people how much he loves them, how much love is there to go around, and guess what will happen? If we can just get the formula of the gospel down, people will flock to Jesus. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. The Jesus you believe in will determine the message you preach. If you think that Jesus is just soft Jesus, you'll think kindness leads to repentance means that. But I want to challenge you to study this on your own. It's Romans 2. Romans 2, look at the context. Here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. Paul is talking to hypocrites, specifically Christian hypocrites, people who had been shown mercy, the mercy of God, and they were living, his words, not mine, stubborn and unrepentant lives. They were judging others for their sins, but they were living in their own sins. So they were pointing out everybody else's sins, and they were banking on grace themselves. Well, I'm going to continue to sin, and grace will abound. This is the, the people that Paul is talking to. And so the boldness of Paul... This is the context of speaking truth or, uh, you know, um, kindness that leads to repentance. The context of Paul speaking truth and love, he reminded them that they had been allowed to repent. You were saved by the mercy of God, not something in you. It was God's just plain old mercy that led you to repentance. How dare you? How dare you look down on other people? How dare you judge them? And how dare you live an unholy life acting as though you're free and clear with this, but they have to submit. All y'all got to submit, right? So Paul's statement to them is kindness led you to repentance. Nathan International Version. Kindness led you to repentance, punk. That's my version, right? But he is saying it with this level of force. Kindness led you to repentance. Don't you dare act like you're better. Don't you dare act like you're better. You see, the kindness that led these people to repentance was the kindness of God that allowed them to repent. When we go into the world, it's not, hey, Jesus loves you. He thinks you're a great and wonderful guy. It is God has offered you the opportunity to repent. He has offered you what you don't have any other way, a chance to turn around. That is love, church. Because if you continue to preach just random, arbitrary love defined by you, you will not see people flock to Jesus. They'll stay just the way they were. They'll stay just the way they were and go, good, I'm glad Jesus loves me. That's fantastic. This is what kindness leads to repentance means. The most astonishing display, though, of God-given boldness, and i got to move it along, God-given boldness, in my opinion, is Stephen in the book of Acts. 
As a pastor, this is my favorite passage. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 7. From Abraham to the crucifixion, Jesus declares the gospel. His goal is evident from the outset. In verse 2, he calls his own brethren to hear, which, which is him calling them in love. The love of Stephen was the same as his heavenly father. He wanted none sh- to, sh- to perish, so he pleads with them to listen to the message. Stephen's next step was to speak plainly, confidently, and boldly. He didn't mince any words. Look at what he says. Acts chapter 7, 51 through 53. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end a sermon this way someday. It'll be awesome. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, and ears are always, your ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit, uh, you are doing just as your fathers did. You never raise your hands when I ask you to. He didn't say that. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> 52. 52. Sorry. Sorry. That's... It's not what he said, but look at what he says. Look at the boldness that Stephen goes to. Stephen is, Stephen is right. Stephen is speaking truth in love, and he is being bold in this moment. He says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And, and in my reading, I can hear sarcasm in this, like, pick a name. I'm sure you killed him. Pick a name. I'm sure we've got him on a list. You killed him. But look at what he says next. He says, they your fathers, they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, and you killed the righteous one. They killed the the one who announced his coming, but whose betrayers and murderers you have now become, the righteous one's uh, murderers. Then he says in 53, you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Do you realize them's fighting words right there to a first century Jew? You have the law of God and you don't obey it? No, sir. Right? The Pharisees are going, we've never been enslaved. We've always followed God. We do it perfectly. We're awesome. That's what they believed. Stephen, in the boldness of the gospel, looks at these people and says, you guys don't obey anyway. Wow. Listen, just quick little application. Have you ever... Preach the gospel in, a, in such a way in your world as to say to somebody, not only does God love you enough to call you to repentance, but you need to repent. What you're doing is wrong. It is sinful, and God detests it. Have you ever said that? Yes, once. <laughs> and that was it. No more friend. But God never said you would have a particular result. God never said it was going to result in the way you wanted it to result. He simply told you what you're supposed to declare. This is Christian boldness, but that kind of boldness is going to require God because you know what happened to Stephen when he declared this with this boldness? They stoned him to death, church. They stoned him to death. The reason that we aren't as bold as we ought to be is that we lean far too much on our own understanding as a church. As Christians, we define gentleness our way. We define love our way. We define boldness our way. No, we do it God's way or we don't do it at all. So remember, I said that God is both the giver and the re-giver. Let me go to that. In Acts 4, the prayer that we read was the prayer of Peter and John. This is the very same Peter and John who stood up on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Spirit of God, declaring with boldness the gospel of Jesus Christ, so bold and so amazing, thousands of people gave their lives to Jesus and were saved that day. These two, with the rest of the assembly, needed more boldness. These two, with the rest of the assembly, needed more boldness. 
If Peter and John need more boldness, enough to pray to the Holy Spirit to give them boldness in view of the threats of persecutors, in view of the threats of the world that they live in, you and I need the same thing, amen? You and I need the exact same thing. Paul says this, or or Peter and John say this, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. That should be our prayer. God gives us boldness, but we need to be refreshed at all times. Godly boldness wanes, whether through persecution or trial or whatever we face. Not only do we need God to give us boldness when we lack it, but we also need to ask for more of it every day. He will provide, as the scripture says, exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He will provide that. So here's where we've been so far. As Christians, we're supposed to be bold, but that boldness is like the Jesus of the Bible. Two, God is the giver and the re-giver of boldness. And last but not least, we need boldness both inside and outside the church walls. Boldness to call a lost world to repentance, but also boldness to call a saved church to holiness. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, and I don't know where it happened, but somewhere along the line, we seem to have gotten scared to even speak to each other about Jesus. What's the rule around the table, around the dinner table? Don't speak about politics or religion. We, we don't want to say anything. And why don't we want to say anything? Because we've come to the place where even if we disagree on a doctrine or an idea, it's an impasse. We can't thrive with one another. We can't live with one another. You're wrong, I'm right, that's it. So we don't talk about anything. And when we don't talk about things like this, we're, we're, um, we're anemic in the spirit. We're, we're dying on the vine because we need people to talk to us and sharpen us and, and move us forward. Amen? That's, that's something that each one of us needs. Consequently, though, because we won't talk about Jesus and we won't even be bold enough to talk about him in our own families, there are dangerous ideas that have begun to run through the church today. Dangerous ideas that run through the church. And if these ideas are left unchecked, it will cause many to stumble. It will cause many to stumble. Uh, Many of you know that I I started a podcast called The State not too long ago, and we're doing YouTube videos and doing all these other things. And the point is to talk about the state of key issues within the church. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm taking some time to just address a big issue that's happening in the world. And I know some of you are going to think, oh, Nate's going political. I'm not going political. I'm going for the issues that are creeping into the church so that we can get back to being faithful, okay? And, and the issue is this notion of social justice, this idea of social justice. And there's a lot of pieces to it because there's a lot of things that just, that social justice has come in and it's kind of robbed the word of God of its authority and it's, it's kind of put, imposed on the word of God things that are just man-made traditions and all this stuff. And so I'm gonna talk through those things and I'm gonna, you know, it's researched, it's, you know, it's stuff that, that is well thought through, but I'm going to talk about those things because we have a problem in the church and we need to start talking and we're going to need to be bold about it because the world's not going to like what we have to say. It's just a simple fact. Let me show you some examples real quick and we'll leave about boldness within the four walls of the church. 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. You don't have to turn there, but 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Meekness and gentleness are not diametrically opposed to boldness. I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent, same word, 
Uh, I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some. That's Paul saying, I'm coming, guns a-blazing. I don't want to, but here it comes, right? So, Nathan International Version. Who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. There's important precepts here. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then Paul says this to the church. He says, and we are ready to punish all disobedience. That's fantastic. I'm putting that on the board out there. Anyway, we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Our boldness in the church is a boldness against speculations and it's a boldness against every lofty thing that raised up against the knowledge of God. It may appear at times to be a boldness against your person, but it's not. It's not a boldness against your person. It's a boldness against the thought you adopted. It's a boldness against the idea that you prescribe, okay, or that you subscribe to. And so there's a problem there. So you need to understand this. We are to love one another, and yet at the same time we love one another, we are allowed, biblically commanded to, and given the strategy on how to, look at each other and say, your belief is hogwash. Like, we can do that, right? We can say, 2,000 years of Christian history has not believed what you're throwing out today. Why are you thinking this kind of stuff? Where did you get your new doctrine? Where did you get your new idea? And none of that is an offense or an affront to the person, but instead to tear down the lofty thoughts that set themselves up against the ideas of God. This is what we're supposed to do. And we need that in the church today. You know why? Because the number of denominations just keeps rolling up. It just keeps going forward and forward. We don't need any more of that nonsense. We just need people who trust Jesus. People who listen to his word and submit to it. So this is what Romans 15, 14 through 16 says. Paul again, boldness to the church. Concerning you, my brethren, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. First things first. Paul looks at the church and says, I actually think you're good people. I think you're equipped to do the job. You actually can admonish one another. Paul would effectively have said, you, you actually don't need me in every situation. You don't need me in every situation. You're good enough to do this, but, isn't there always a but, right? But you're not. Verse 15, but I have written very boldly to you on some points. You're, you're capable of it, but you ain't doing it, right? So I've written to you very boldly on some points so, that, so as to remind you again, and I love why Paul is doing this. He wants to remind them again. Now listen, because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering, who's Paul's offering? The Roman people, the Christians there, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You know why Paul was bold inside of the church? Because his heart could not sleep unless his people were sanctified. It's not good enough for us to just let it go. 
We have to call one another out on these things. We have to be bold about these things because our hearts must be hearts that want the church to be sanctified. We must want each other to look more and more like Jesus every day. So here's how we close. Just a simple question. And I wrote the question out so that it will fester, so that it will bug you. And I want it to bug you. Just being honest with you. I want it to bug you. I want you to think about this question a lot. I want you to go home and be dissatisfied watching a football game because you can't, you can't stop thinking about what is really important in life. When our children grow up, when your children grow up, when the next generation grows up, will they look back on us as Christians and say that we are bold like Jesus? Will they say it? Or... Or will, will they desire to imitate Christ because they saw in us a true imitation of a bold Jesus who was willing to go to a cross even though, uh, to go to a cross uh, for what he believed? Are we willing to be those people? Will the next generation see that? And here's the, the tricky part. Or will the future generation be required to look further and further back into redemptive history just to catch a glimpse of Christian boldness? Will they see it in you or will they have to read their books? to find it, because they need to see it in us, church. They need to see it in us. You should not, moms and dads, you shouldn't wake up a day in your life without thinking, will my kids see Jesus in me? Will they see the Jesus of the scripture as bold as the day is long, who deeply loves sinners so much that I will do whatever it takes, even risk my own life to tell them about the only way to heaven, the only way to God the Father, repentance. Will you be those people? Or, again, will every generation have to look further and further back in order to see Christian boldness? We need to be those people in faith. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.